Hello and welcome to Mixed Feelings, a podcast about news, politics, and pop culture on the Real AFM network. I'm Quinn Rose, and I am here as always with my co-host, Jillian Parker. Hey, everyone. Hey, Quinn. Hello. How are you doing? I am alive and sleeping more than five hours a night. That sounds like a thriving situation. Yes, I am thriving. Opera is over, so I now am no longer owned by a production staff that hates me. Okay, I don't think the production staff hated you. That's fair, but they hated everyone and their schedules. (laughs) That I can agree with. (laughs) The production staff may not have anything against you personally, but you will feel like they hate you with the fires of hell. (laughs) Yes, because solely based on your schedule. And I just feel so bad for our stage manager who is just like... She's awesome, but she had to deal with so much crap just from people's schedules and like scheduling rehearsals and based on conflicts and classes and things like that. So, yeah, I would not want her job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that sounds awful. But you had your show choir concert. I did. And it was actually, it was so chill because it was significantly shorter than it usually is. We had, we had way fewer songs. And so we actually like kicked butt um and we're also just like way more prepared than we usually were even with the big group numbers which are the same number it always was we somehow just got those done like really early and then just had so much time during tech week to just like get things really good and we barely messed up at all in the show which was honestly kind of disappointing because you want to mess up no because i um Because I make a video every year that kind of compiles all of the mistakes that we make, and it's a fun time to laugh at all of the silly things that we did. Um, Like, one year someone dropped his fan, one year a bunch of choreography went wrong, and it, like, messed up this line of linked hands, and it was very funny. But we have nothing like that this year. I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah, wow. I hate when everything goes right, too. Yeah. It's weird. Okay, your show was perfect. (laughs) (laughs) The night you saw it was perfect. Um... Our last show, regrettably, was just awful, and everything went wrong. No way. Yeah. It was... So, our main trumpeter, like, just was sick and just couldn't come to play, so they literally, like, had this other person, like, this random person come in who had never seen the music before, and they were like, play this. And the music director was like, do you have any questions, like, anything you want to go over? And I can imagine him just being like, yeah, pages one through 200 of the score. Oh, no. Um, Two people missed their cues. One person, like, forgot their lines. Like, it was just awful. But it's okay. Well, I want to make you feel better. I heard about another show that was happening over the weekend that... um, there was no sound in it at all, and someone that I know, like, complimented them because they thought it was such an interesting, subversive choice, and they were actually like, no, we had a lot of sound. Our soundboard broke. Oh. <laughs> so it became a no-sound production. <laughs> so in perhaps more important news than college theater mishaps, a lot happened in Saudi Arabia this week. Yep. The 24 hours that pretty much changed everything in that country. Yeah. Which is never, I mean, it, that that can be a good phrase. No, Usually no. not. I don't know. Like, you know, the Berlin Wall comes down. I'm sure that was 24 hours that changed Germany quite a bit. I mean, fair. But in most cases. <laughs> yeah, not usually a good connotation. Anyway, so basically um, this all centers around the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, 
or MBS for short, apparently. Yeah, so people call, well, not people, but sometimes his he's referred to as MBS, but like every time I say MBS, all I can think about is mortgage-backed securities. That's a you problem. I feel like that's not something that people who actually like live in Saudi Arabia call him. No, literally just Americans. Yeah. So anyway, um, this conference uh, took power in Saudi Arabia about two years ago. Um, he's only 32, so he's quite young, and he's very ambitious. He has this whole platform about how he's going to uh, get rid of corruption, which is a huge problem, mm-hmm. a, a huge problem in Saudi Arabia and the Middle East in general. Um, and so people were like, yeah, get rid of corruption. But over this 24 hours, the prime minister of Lebanon, who is kind of you know, people suspected that he was allied with Mohammed bin Salman and um, it was involved in this conflict between Saudi Arabia and Iran fighting over Lebanon. It's a whole big thing. But anyway, so he resigned um, from the capital of Saudi Arabia. And so that raised a lot of eyebrows. And then apparently there was this missile that struck Saudi Arabia. Um, and so uh, the crown prince is very close to declaring war with iran um because there's a that's just not a healthy relationship mm-hmm. which is an understatement um yeah but it's this huge like ongoing conflict um between saudi arabia and iran and so there's a lot of tension there um and they're also saudi arabia is also now claiming that lebanon declared war on them but i didn't actually see a confirmation that like lebanon has said that they declared war on Saudi Arabia. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but in response to all of this, um, the conference was like, okay, and um, in the midst of all of it, basically arrested a bunch of his political rivals um, and the wealthy of Saudi Arabia and people who have power and is keeping them in a five-star hotel, which is an interesting choice for a political prison. And it's all under this the claim that um, these people are corrupt and so he is removing corruption from the government and from um, these people in power. So that's where we're at right now. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because, I mean, I think a lot of people were nervous when he like came into power because basically it's supposed to be this other guy that was supposed to take over. Um, and like this older, more the guy who was like more entrenched, I guess, in politics and like knew all the people, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so this was more of a radical choice um and he like came into power and he has this plan called vision 2030 and basically the gist of it is you know restructuring getting rid of corruption things like that but also what he wants to do is put a real emphasis on preventing further climate change which is great because like yay the earth is important but considering like literally most of saudi arabia's gdp or a lot of its money comes from oil it's just like well how are you going to replace, you know, the GDP or that the income that you would generate um, by getting rid of basically people's main source of wealth? Mm-hmm. So I think that's interesting, too, because, like, he's getting rid of these people or for, in quotes, corruption, but also maybe it's the people who, like, are against his plans because he wants to get rid of um, Saudi Arabia's dependence on oil. Yeah, it's really interesting right now because, I mean, there's the possibility that, you know, these people are corrupt and that um, with these new policies and and by locking them up, that, you know, he will lead Saudi Arabia into um, a new era and, like, bring the Middle East into a modern political sphere. Um, 
that's like the most optimistic version of this. Mm-hmm. Um, the most pessimistic version of this is this is just 100% him exploiting his own power, mm-hmm. uh, getting rid of his political rivals, going forward on like his personal unthought of plans, um, mm-hmm. and will crash and burn and start wars. And then there's, you know, we're probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah, maybe. But, you know, more towards the bad part because that's the world we live in. Actually, though, was, you know, like the expression, um, hope for the best but expect the worst? I think nowadays we should just expect the worst. I think it's hope for the best but plan for the worst. Really? That's what I, that's what I heard. Oh, well, my motto is hope for the best, expect the worst. I'm going to be real honest with you. I got that motto from a book I read when I was a child that I was about knights. Like knights as in like opposite of day or knights as in like knights in shining armor? Knights in shining armor. Ah. And I just always remembered that. Interesting. So that may or may not be the commonly accepted phrase. <laughs> I'm going to Google this real quick. Okay. Okay, a quick Google search has determined that they are, in fact, both sayings. Um, and so, basically, it's just the general idea is so for the best, and then also, like, expect slash plan slash repair for the worst. Um, I, I like plan because that implies that there is something you can do about it if it becomes the worst. Mm-hmm. Which, I'm not optimistic about our chances uh, with the conference of Saudi Arabia. Nope. Not much we can do about that. Nope. So, I'm just going to expect the worst. But, you know, if the conference of Saudi Arabia um, or someone who is close personal friends with him happens to listen to this podcast, maybe chill. Maybe chill? Definitely chill. We're going to we're gonna go strong with the chill recommendation? Yes. Yeah, I basically... It's, it's hard for us to comment on this because, as is clear, like, we are not experts, um... I mean, we aren't experts in virtually anything, but at least with U.S. politics, we have a basis of understanding of, like, where things are coming from in the history of the nation and everything. And we definitely don't with Middle Eastern countries, but we do have, you know, basic understanding of, like, what it looks like when you are staging a coup of, like, consolidation of power. Um, And that's generally not a good thing. No, it's really not. An interesting question on that topic, though, is how the changes in this area might affect other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it is interesting, especially with regard to Vision 2030 and, you know, cutting down, like, the oil that Saudi Arabia produces and what that's going to do and how that's going to affect OPEC and, like, things like that. Um, do and you want to explain all of the things you just referenced? OPEC is basically the <laughs> world organization that controls how much oil each country is producing. Um, and that's basically to prevent, well, basically to prevent certain countries from producing or exporting so much oil that, like, they make a lot of money, but that forces the price of oil down so then other countries suffer. So basically OPEC controls and makes sure makes sure that every country in this in basically this web or this network um, of oil producers is producing the correct amount of oil and um, things like that in order to avoid, you know, major shifts in supply and demand. Um, So basically, 
OPEC and Saudi Arabia, since Saudi Arabia produces a lot of oil, they are always very, I don't know if like harping on them is like the right word, but pretty much they're like always concerned that Saudi Arabia is going to produce more than like they say they will or things like that. So pretty much like it's been pretty positive in the fact that Saudi Arabia is agreeing to what OPEC says and OPEC has been like putting limits on different countries and telling them like they need to cut down their exports and things like that. And so Saudi Arabia is like totally fine with another um, export cut or whatever. So things are pretty positive, I guess, in that sense. And the fact that oil prices should hopefully stable, um, should hopefully stabilize. But it's just one of those things where like, with the future of Vision 2030 and like things like that and how the supply and demand of oil, not only just from Saudi Arabia, but also like the world supply and demand of oil is going to change things. So it'll be interesting, especially with regard to climate change and all that other fun stuff. Yeah. So that's pretty much my <laughs> long-winded explanation of OPEC and Saudi Arabia's relationship to OPEC and, you know, the importance of not exporting more oil than you said you would. Yeah, and that's really the result in living in such a globalized society and economy is that not only do we have these really important interconnected economic factors, but things like shifts of power and having a, a perhaps volatile leader of this country like makes it really unclear what will happen to economies in places across the world. It's kind of freaky to think about I can't decide if it's like our system is just so stacked on itself to the point where sure you take like one piece out and it might lock in and like the rest of it will be able to continue supporting itself but you take a big enough piece out and it all collapses yeah pretty much i feel like that's a good also like analogy for my life <laughs> yikes um so yeah but I don't know. It's definitely something that we should keep an eye out for, even though, as we've said before, we literally have no knowledge, no in-depth knowledge at all about Middle Eastern polit politics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we're kind of giving this crash course in this specific situation that happened, but this is something that, like, we're also learning about by just reading the news um, and seeing what people who know more about this than us are saying, which Quinn, is how you learn everything. <laughs> Quinn reads the news. Julian skims articles, maybe. <laughs> Julian waits for Quinn to explain the news to her. <laughs> this is not false. <laughs> but you do know things about OPEC, so... Keep me around for the economics knowledge and macro and microeconomic theory, which never has to be based on news. Everything is just based on imaginary things. Um, Real useful field you got there. <laughs> Yeah, well, alas, here we are. <laughs> so in more news, I guess, loosely related to, well, loosely related to this topic is that Syria, another country in the Middle East, has, you know, also committed to the Paris Climate Agreement. Um, TLDR is the Paris Climate Agreement is basically all these countries signing this contract saying that they are going to do their best to cut down on carbon emissions, you know, in order to save the planet, because it is the only one that we have. And so now the U.S. is the only country not committing to the Paris Climate Agreement. Mm -hmm. And this is something that we did agree to under the Obama administration, and then Trump said he was going to remove the U.S., although that can't happen until 2020. Um, 
because government. Yeah. So we're currently in the agreement, um, but they are looking to renegotiate terms because they say that the agreement is unfair to the U.S. Um, and it puts a disproportional uh, burden on it compared to countries like India and China. Mm-hmm. Which is not... That in itself is not a totally invalid argument. Mm-hmm. Because there are definitely... I mean, India and China are huge contributors to pollution in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are, as we've alluded to, you know, like serious economic considerations in terms of this environmental policy. Because, I mean, the uh, people... Like, a lot of people get their jobs from working in fossil fuels. And so... And so it's this question of, like, how do you redistribute jobs to, like, more sustainable energy sources? Can you redistribute those jobs? What does that look like? Who gets lost in the shuffle? Um, Like, who is just going to be left out of a job? But on the other hand, there is a strong political feeling to this as well, I think, um, in terms of Trump's mission in a lot of ways seems to be just to do the opposite of whatever Obama did. Um, rather than striking out, like, new policy on his own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you've noticed, but I feel like Trump does not have much of an imagination <laughs> and no, cannot I, generate his own ideas. I might have noticed that. Um, this is what happens when you don't read, kids. Yeah. Read read books. Um, yeah. So whether or not you agree with the reasons or for or against the Paris Climate Agreement, I think it's safe to say that the U.S. being the only country not, you know, fully supporting this is just bad reputation-wise. I think that whether or not you, like, say you want to adhere to every single thing in the agreement, I think, okay, fine, maybe we can talk about terms in that sense, but I don't think the right move is to just, okay, never mind, let's just back out while we can. Um, I just don't think that's a great solution to a problem that is going to be, it's going to become a bigger problem by, you know, reneging. Yeah. And there's this sense of, you know, the United States is a world leader, but the more that Trump demonstrates himself unfit in this diplomatic capacity and the more that he's stepping out of these international stages like the less that that is true Mm -hmm. um which is i mean i'd like to go on record in saying i personally support the paris climate agreement i think we should be on it for environmental reasons as well as political reasons but even just talking about the political reasons right now like there could be serious repercussions to this weakening of our international position Mm -hmm. yeah i'm and I am in support of the Paris Climate Agreement in terms of political, um, in terms of the political aspect, but just because like <laughs> Angela Merkel already does not like Trump, as mm-hmm. as one knows, um, and so like the more really powerful international leaders that are just against America is not great, um, and that could just be very damaging in general to. Not only the president of the United States, but also its citizens. Speaking of India and the Paris Climate Agreement, though, connected with this, um, there's also a crisis happening in Delhi right now um, because basically it's just like a poison fog um, on the city. Uh, not it's not literally poisonous, but it, well, it's it's, it's like pretty a, poisonous. It's slow acting poison. Yeah. Um. It's a, a smog. Smog is 
covered the city to the point where you know like you can't see things yeah there's no visibility um it is incredibly polluted it's it's unsafe to be there mm-hmm. um i mean you've seen there, there there are certain cities in china where the pollution is this bad as yeah. well i mean people have to wear masks to go outside because it is so incredibly unsafe um to breathe the air just outside mm-hmm. and as someone who's like has been um told that she has asthma i can like definitely empathize with just this is just awful right like (laughs) we already abuse our planet so much and this is just you know another cherry on top of the cake yeah it's this is scary because this is one of those things that you see just such a visceral effect of long-term pollution Mm -hmm. um because and it's just weird for me because, I mean, I'm from Maine. Um, and first of all, Maine is mostly trees. And second of all, it's just like the population density is so low that the air quality is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. There's actually, they have a whole camp. They, there's also, there's no smoking allowed in any public areas in Maine, basically. And so mm-hmm. they have this whole thing. It's like, breathe easy. You're in Maine. Um, and I feel like I never appreciated that properly. I love Maine. Maine's great. Um, but I never really appreciated that properly, like how clean Maine is just like having clean air is a luxury now on certain parts mm-hmm. of the world which is just bizarre which just should just not be the case um but also it is complicated in the fact that India and like a lot of and you know China and all of these industrial places like in order to produce whatever these manufacturing these factories are emitting all of this carbon and polluting the air but now it's a question of trying to balance like yes we also we want clean air but we also you know like want to generate gdp so it's just like where is the balance like how can you even begin to remedy that in just like a simple two sentence summary well the thing is i mean in this case in particular you have pollution that occurs from um like day-to-day cars and Mm -hmm. and factories and stuff like that but you also have like there's a a a huge amount of pollution because um of farmers burning stubble in like nearby farms um and rubbish burning and firecrackers and like construction sites and and things i mean construction sites is, is more directly related to gdp but like these are things that could be altered um or even just like removed in the case of like firecrackers or like don't burn trash um and like there could be policies implemented that would have a relatively non-disruptive effect um on people's income i mean i don't know a lot about like um burning fields and stuff like that to clear fields but i guess i know that's a that's a popular thing that's used um but there's got to be other ways to do that, right? I mean, there's definitely other ways and there's, like, solutions, but I don't think the problem is coming up with the solutions to fix these issues. I think the problem is getting people to do them. Well, that's where the government intervention comes in. Yeah, and that will make a lot of people really happy. Yeah, but that's the point. Like, that's why we have a government is so what people are... Because people naturally act in their own self-interest, but the government's the thing that steps in and is like, hey... How about we, so we can all breathe, like, we make life a little harder for some people so that we can all breathe. I mean, breathing's nice. I'm not going to contest that. Um, 
I just think it's like, okay, so the issue is, I don't think the issue is like the government being like, okay, yeah, like you need to do something else. And then the person's like, okay, fine, whatever. I think the issue is when the government's like, okay, you need to do something else, but you also need to pay for it. And like, we're not going to help you with that. Right. So it's just like, okay, Mm -hmm. well, I could keep doing this thing. And yes, I'm polluting the world, but like right now in the short term, when I'm focused on, you know, like making sure my family has enough to eat or making sure like my kids can go to school or do whatever. It's just like, well, how, how can you start to remedy that? And I think it's like the issue, like, okay, yeah, I realize like I'm polluting the earth right now, but like, unless you're going to give me a viable solution that I don't have to personally financially suffer from, then like, I don't know what you want me to do. So it's also that issue. Yeah. There has to be some kind of system of either incentives or like an actual viable solution that, um, is relatively non-disruptive to people's lives. And so that like, because if the cost is too high for these kinds of things, it doesn't matter. Like you said, if the government is putting this policy in place, like people are still going to get around it. People work the laws constantly. Um, and if it's a matter of, you know, putting food on the table, if they love you, like being productive in a certain way, um, then people are going to make that choice. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. TLDR, we don't really have a solution to this. <laughs> um, I mean, that's a TLDR of everything we talk about. Oh, that's so depressing. I guess this, this this is just like a microcosm of the same issue that the Paris Climate Agreement is, which is what is the balance that you can strike between short-term economics and long-term environmentalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and those don't always have to be at odds. Um but I think in the immediate short term, they pretty much always are. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, there are definitely, like, ways to make adjustments and to redistribute production and jobs and ways to do things. But, like, the friction of change, regardless of anything else, is always going to be hard for some people. And it's always going to hurt some people. Yeah. And it's always – it's just, like, one of those things where it's, like, okay, so honestly, like – yes, we should stop polluting. And in the long run, like, we know that we need to stop polluting. Otherwise, we won't have anything to pollute. (laughs) So it is crucial that we need to take into account, like, the environment. But then also it's just like, okay, well, how many jobs are people going to, like, lose from, like, making these adjustments? Um, And I think it's one of those things where it's like, okay, so if the government really does want to improve like the environment and in the long term and like make these changes it's gonna have to be some sort of gradual kind of thing which like doesn't you know which isn't super great but also it's like okay then the government also has to compensate these people right or in order to make something like this even remotely popular although that's probably not really a huge concern or a huge thought of what the government on what the government's thinking but it's just like it's just like, okay, how do you remedy, like, the long-term with the short-term? And it's like, okay, we know what it's going to take for things to get better in the long-term. But that also means just, like, okay, like, really cracking down and people are going to suffer in the short-term. But it's just, like, how do you remedy that? Can you remedy that? And, like, I think it, I think it's easy, you know, yeah, like, on the whole, like, if a few people suffer, then, like, that's fine. If it's going to 
you know make the world a better place in the end but then also like if you're one of those people that is going to have to suffer and you're going to like lose your job and like your kid's not going to be able to do the things that your kid wants to do because you don't have money and just it's just a whole mess right so i don't know another tldr is yeah we don't know what to do or we know what to do but we don't know how to make it a tangible possibility that will improve the lives of everyone that's an interesting phrasing because that this is going to be a bit of a side tangent but that kind of brings into mind the question of pareto efficiency Mm -hmm. which is this idea that reaching pareto efficiency means that no one can be made better off without making someone else worse off right but that can mean like one person has nine dollars and one person has one dollar and that's Mm -hmm. all the dollars and so you technically can't make the one dollar person better off without taking money away from the nine dollar person right um but that doesn't so but pareto efficiency doesn't mean it's fair right um and it, i don't know your phrasing just reminded me of that and it's the question is like is it that we're at some kind of pareto efficiency and we like so that the redistribution has to necessarily make some people worse off in order to like make people better off in the long run mm-hmm. i don't know i mean honestly if we're going to be very pessimistic or maybe even realistic like if in order to make these changes and in order to improve the environment people are going to have to make sacrifices and that's just like not great because like well that sucks if you're that person um but then it's just like okay well then now what right so like okay so if you tell me that okay well you can't do this anymore and you need to come up with another solution so we don't pollute the planet but then you don't give me a a viable alternative then like okay then you know like there's just needs there needs to be a plan or some sort of system in place but like trying to get plans and systems enacted or built into the government as is is just a disaster and a half evergreen so in super weird news, uh, there's a big Medium article that's going around. And when I say big, I mean it is a very long article. But it's about YouTube videos that are aimed at children. And this article... It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a whole lot. Um, to try to synthesize this into a basic summary, um, there's this whole world of kids' YouTube. And it's a lot of bright colors and then toy being unwrapped and animated characters um and you have a lot of like kids are into weird things there apparently there was this craze of like just unwrapping tinder eggs that people were really into um whatever but then there started to become this thing where they they get these algorithmic words and they start getting this word salad of like titles and thumbnails um and so they all kind of look the same but you start looking closer and it's just like a bunch of words put together that are meant to 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 trigger these algorithms and so they get suggested from like this this kid is like scrolling through youtube kids and is looking for videos of elsa but then they end up on videos of very friendly disturbing things and they range from just kind of weird and off and somewhat disturbing to like explicitly violent and graphic um and things that can be I mean, all those things can be damaging to kids um, because they're kids and they just don't have the mechanism to, like, deal with that kind of thing. But um, especially, of course, like, the more violent and graphic that it gets. 
And these videos are, like, made by people. And some of them are, they're, like, 4chan style, like, dark humor, quote-unquote edgy, satirical stuff. Um, And then there's, like, a bunch of videos. They're, like, live-action videos of these actors who are following along with these YouTube trends of, like, what kids are into. But they're just kind of weird and off. Um, And the article was basically just discussing this, just detailing this whole phenomenon and then being like, what is going on? Why is this happening? Like, this is incredibly exploitative of these kids. Um, It is damaging to them. It is actively, like, harming these children um, who, like, because there's this system that feeds into itself and provides this platform for these videos and, like, doesn't protect these kids at all because they get in. Even on, like, there's a YouTube Kids app that is supposed to filter out everything that's not appropriate to children, but, like, all these videos can get in there. Um, and so the whole thing is just very... It's very disturbing. Yep. It's just annoying because, I don't know, I just feel like this is a common trend that we see, and, like, I'm not saying that we need to, you know... It's, it's not something like, oh, kids shouldn't be on YouTube, or YouTube needs to, like completely revamp everything but it's just like one another weird thing of like these technologies are put in place in order to be helpful and in order to generate like related content in like a positive way so like if you see a really cute video of a dog and a kitten and you want to see another video of a dog and a kitten you can do that very easily but then it's just like the system turning against itself right like it's like that you know, that trope of creating a robot and then the robot takes over everything and has a mind of its own. This article really freaked me out even because um, a couple months ago, my five-year-old cousin visited and I was literally like sitting down with her and she was just sitting on my lap um, and she had this like little kids tablet thing with YouTube kids on it and she was just clicking through videos and they were all videos, not, they were, they were, because I was watching them with her, and so I knew that they were actually kids' videos, but they were whole, the style, and, like, I, I recognized the aesthetic when I was looking at this article, um, and some of them were, like, other kids who were playing with toys, and some of them were animated videos that, like, used characters that she liked from Disney movies or something like that, and so I just, and I saw that in action, and I was like, okay, cool, like, your mom says you can watch YouTube videos, like, I'm sitting with you, totally fine, and then I read this article, and I'm like, what happens if she clicks on one of these videos because there's no way in a million years that a five-year-old could ever differentiate between the spectrum of videos um until it is too late and they've already seen something that is incredibly concerning mm-hmm. yeah so so say we come up with ways to like fix this and make this not happen but then it's also like wow well this already affected a bunch of kids and it's just bad in general um so this just makes me really sad the article made the point as well that this is a, a, an incredibly heinous example of the, this kind of systematic exploitation of the user because it is against children and it is specifically targeting children. Um, and But that like this is the kind of thing on a different level that happens all the time, which is like a system gets taken over by disturbing content and and harmful content whether it's like explicitly graphic or if it's just things that like are just harmful for us to be reading about um and online algorithms tend to be taken over by that kind of thing because there's an opening forum and 
there are people on the internet who are just like determined to make that kind of thing and to exploit it. And you see this happen all the time with like hashtags get taken over um, with graphic images um, because they're trying to flood the hashtag and destroy it. Um, or even with like the Russian bots that were taking over Facebook and Twitter and being able to, to, to just feed into those algorithms to feed misinformation or just like so discontent and abuse the systems that I think we don't think about as much as we should because they're just like, oh, they're computers and they kind of just run themselves. Um, but I mean, those algorithms are written by people and they're not being written effectively enough to actually provide us with like safe content. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also I think the more, I think the most disturbing part about this is not just like, oh, like this is just like a weird algorithm and like we can just fix that and problem solved. It's just the fact that like these videos that are being generated are like made by real people or being edited by real people. And it's just like, why do you do this? Yeah, that's really... Which is just a deeper problem on so many other levels about, you know, humanity and whatever. I mean, I'm not sure I agree with you that it's, like, an objectively worse problem because I do think that the systematizing of these things and and the way that we let information algorithms affect our daily lives is, like, a huge problem. But I agree that, like, on a fundamental, just, like, base human level, the fact that people invest time into making these things is very disturbing. Um, and even, and I think that there are like people who make these videos who do it like for fun shock value to show their friends and like get Mm -hmm. a good laugh. Right. Um, but they are like by the virtue of YouTube being targeted at children, ultimately, whether that was the intention of the person or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm just not going to let my kid watch YouTube. It's fine. We're not even going to have YouTube by the time we have kids. We're going to have something else. Really? You think? 3D tube. Ugh. Virtual reality. Ugh. How, 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 how would you, like, broach, I guess, a topic like this with your kid? Not with your kids in the fact of, like, sitting them down and talking to them about this, but just, like, in general, like, you said, I think you mentioned um, on an earlier episode that you had, like, limited access to TV and things like that. Like, would you want to create that same sort of environment for your kids? I'm really not sure because, I mean, we talked about this a little bit before because I, I just really don't know what the technology landscape will look like when I have kids, if I have kids. So... I'm not sure if that's a question I can answer, but this kind of stuff does make me really scared. It's because it's even, you would think that like, oh, you put them on something like YouTube Kids and even if they're, you know, like wasting time on YouTube or whatever, like it's still safe, mm-hmm. um, but it's not. Like there are no like truly safe places for kids on the internet. Mm-hmm. Oh, I had LeapFrog. That was the extent of my technology when I was a kid. I did not have LeapFrog when my sister had one. It's, they are so fun. It seemed really fun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I miss my leapfrog. I'm, you know what I'm really into? Sesame Street. Oh, I feel like the older I get, the more I appreciate Sesame Street for what it is and like what it has done to the children of the world. It's incredible. Cookie Monster. Yeah. So maybe that's the solution. Like you just have. You give your kid a tablet, but all it has on it is episodes of Sesame Street. There are no other options. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. 
Just make them read books. <laughs> books. <laughs> Who reads those? We told people to read earlier in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> in case you're one of those people who just wants to skip to the end. <laughs> I, since we're kind of wrapping up, I want to share a, a weird thing. Um, I've been checking out books from our school library. I check out books reasonably often. Um, you know, books for class, uh, books for fun. They have all sorts of stuff in there. But I've been checking out books all semester. You know when these books are due? When? February 10th. Every single one of them. Some I've checked out in September. Some I've checked out in November. They are all due February 10th. Mm-hmm. What's happening on February 11th? <laughs> I have questions. Does the library know something I don't? Is there a reason that every book is due on the same day? <laughs> it's a purge. What? Like, why aren't we allowed to have books on February 11th? What's happening? <laughs> Quinn is, like, visibly concerned. I have questions. And I even asked the person last time I checked out a book. I was like, what's up with that? And they were like, oh, yeah, I don't know. There's a thing. And I'm like, what's the thing? <laughs> I need answers. So I want to wrap up today by talking about the political compass quiz again. Because I realized something. Because um, someone sent us in this full certificate which first of all was wild i didn't know you could get these little certificate pictures um but it had the pictures of, of a bunch of people and that, that when i had said that like i was gandhi and you were freedmen before there were not as many people on mm-hmm. the, map, the map and so they're not actually the people that were closest to and this is going to be really funny but looking at this again i believe that you're closest to gary johnson and i'm closest to bernie sanders mm-hmm um, which is funny because, like, I did not vote for Bernie Sanders. Uh, <laughs> I voted for Gary Johnson, though, so here we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but that's just an interesting thing. But that, that, that gives you a better idea of, like, where our dots actually were. Because I was, like, definitely not all the way in economic left. Um, and you were not, like, that far down in Friedman. I don't know. I'm also, like, not sure where, where how exact, like, these, uh, dots yeah, because Hillary Clinton is on the right. and Yeah, which is, like, very weird and concerning. So, But anyway, the certificate thing was cool, even though I doubt some of the accuracy of the people placed on it. We had four different people send in uh, their pictures of their maps with their dots, which is pretty cool. So send them in if you feel like it um, so we can see. Because um, it's just interesting. Um, all four of them were left libertarian, but there was kind of a difference. Some of them were more... Um, Moderate. Yeah, some of them were more moderate, and then some people were, like, more extreme, like, in the corner, mm-hmm. left libertarian, which I thought was interesting. But, I mean, I don't think that's particularly surprising considering the content of this show. But it's fun to take anyway. Yes. Everyone take it, and you can get, like, yes. your little... This is, like, the new Myers-Briggs test, I've decided. Everyone should get their political compass. <laughs> oh, I love Myers-Briggs. Thank you for listening to the show today. Uh, if you want to find us on Twitter, you can follow us at MixedFeelingsFM. Um, you can also find us in the Apple Podcast Store, where you could leave us a review. You can also find us at Relay.fm slash MixedFeelings, where you can see our show notes, or there's a contact form if you want to email us. You can find me on Twitter at AspiringRobotFM. And you can find me on Twitter at underscore Jillian Parker. Thank you for talking with me, Jillian. Uh, thanks for talking to me, Quinn. Always a pleasure. I'm Quinn Rose. I'm Jillian Parker. And these were our mixed feelings.